Let us pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. With every passing year, I feel the acuity of transitions more and more in my life. I'm not sure if you're the same way. Uh, When the kids were little, it seemed like we were always looking for the perfect nap schedule for the whole family. And then we found it, and it lasted for about three days, right? And then some other change would happen in their lives, and we had to adjust. There's always transition going on, isn't there? I feel that even now. I feel constant transition in the life of this church and even in my own heart. And with each transition comes a host of possible responses for us. We can complain. We can adjust. We can bemoan our circumstances. We can fret. We can bury ourselves in the work at hand to avoid the transition. We can retreat. We can hold on to the status quo. We can pray. We can fast. In any of the transitions that I feel, I can react in each of these ways, sometimes in the same hour. It's hard for us to give up what we know for what is unknown, and that's why transitions are so very hard for us. And this morning, I believe, whether you know it or not, that you are either in transition or you're nearing the beginning of a new transition. It's something that binds all of us together. The letter of Jude, this tiny letter, is all about what to do in times of transition. Jude opens his letter with a radical statement. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. What Jude is doing here is he's identifying himself as one of the three or four half-brothers of Jesus, somebody who was a credible witness. Did you know that Jesus had half-brothers? It's noted in the Gospels, it's noted in Acts, and in other sources as well. We know from literature of the very early church, that the relatives of Jesus were held in very, very high regard and had great authority over the early church. Unlike his brother James, who stayed put as the leader of the Jerusalem church, Jude was a traveling missionary, a pastoral presence among the young churches of Judea, Asia Minor, and perhaps beyond. We're not really sure everywhere that Jude went. Because the issue of the letter is so specific, it stands to reason that this letter was written to a specific church in a specific situation rather than just a general letter that circulated around. Jude tells his listeners to contend for the faith that was entrusted to them with the ungodly in their midst, the ones who deny Jesus in their actions. My guess is you probably don't have a lot of familiarity with this book, but I love this little book of Jude. You'll note even as we were reading it, there there are parts that I'm not going to get to today. It's thick for a small little book. And it speaks to me in the midst of the changes in my life. It was a period of major transition for the early church, but it was not the first transition that the early church went through. So to understand the transition that's happening uh, when Jude is writing this letter, we need to look back at the first major transition for the early church, which happened in Jerusalem at Pentecost. It hadn't been that long since Jesus was in their midst. So imagine for a moment the loss that those disciples, these men and women who knew the Lord Jesus experienced after Jesus ascended into heaven. 
there was a gap in leadership. And even the most bold apostles must have felt horribly inadequate to answer the tough questions that Jesus used to answer for them. How does a group of largely uneducated men pull together to lead the cause of a perfect leader who has left, let alone if that leader happens to be God himself? This was a major transition. So they gathered together during Pentecost in Jerusalem, along with countless other travelers to celebrate this Jewish holiday. And then something amazing happened from Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place, and suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as a fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other language as the Spirit gave them ability. A gift came upon them, the gift of the Holy Spirit, and it caused this cacophony of language all discernible in each ear. Pretty amazing thing that's happened. Even the most staunch Jews stood with their mouths open and they came to the logical conclusion that everyone had had a bit too much to drink. But Peter said it's too early for that. The answer comes from the prophet Joel, and he quotes. And this sounds a little bit like Jude's language, by the way. In the last days it will be, God declares, that I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon my slaves, both men and women, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy, and I will show portents in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and smoky mist. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the Lord's great and glorious day. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. It might seem strange to us now, but there's no question that those people who were present in Jerusalem on that Pentecost day were thinking only one thing. The end of the world has come. The believers might have even said to themselves, we knew Jesus was coming back soon. He told us that, but this is really kind of a lot sooner than we thought. No, Jesus did not come back at Pentecost, but the church effectively began that day at a time of great fear for the future of the the faith in Jesus Christ. this, This monumental time of transition, a gift was given which empowered the church to go forward in its mission. Thousands were baptized into the church that day. And when the festival was over, they left and they went to their homes all over the known world. And the Great Commission begins as they return to tell others about what they experienced. We can see a pattern here. This is why I'm sitting on this Pentecost event. We can see a pattern that's followed throughout the book of Acts and the epistles. There is initial belief. And then there's a gap in leadership. Then there's a gift that's given to the people. And lastly, there's a sending out in order to bring Christ to those who do not know him. Initial belief, gap in leadership, a gift is given, and then a sending out. The boldness of Peter and John on that day is exhibited in their willingness to stand up and name the gift that had been given as the Holy Spirit, to take that holy time and space to to preach the truth of Jesus Christ. For this reason... Peter, John, and later the missionary Paul become the authority for the church. The people followed them with great fervor. 
They were called apostles. Do you know what an apostle is? An apostle is one who had seen the risen Christ and was sent out by him. Had seen Jesus and was sent out by him. Included in this group of beloved and trusted apostles were James and Jude, the half-brothers of Jesus. So fast forward about 40 or 50 years, somewhere in there, and we're back to our study of Jude's epistle. In that period of time between the Pentecost and the writing of Jude's epistle, the church has seen outstanding growth from Judea to Samaria and even slowly but surely to the ends of the earth. But the cycle has begun again. Put that one back up, Evan, Evan, if you would. There is a gap in leadership. Many of the beloved apostles had passed on. And the church was in a bit of an identity crisis. Those who had seen the risen Christ and were sent by him, many of them had aged and had died. So Jude asks his audience to contend for the faith that was once and for all entrusted to all the saints. Even though the apostolic age was was still open, there were still some older apostles like Jude out there, there's already a sense in the church of those who had gone before them in faith. They were anticipating this transition. They were feeling it. For a church that was faced with an ungodly group of, of grumblers and disturbances among them, a strong faith was essential. And Jude makes it clear that the judgment for ungodly grumblers is sure and that the believers are to flee from such ungodliness. Listen again to his words in verses 17 through 20. But you, beloved, must remember the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, for they said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers indulging in their own ungodly lusts. It is these worldly people devoid of the Spirit who are causing divisions. But you, beloved, Build yourselves up on your most holy faith. Jude is calling his listeners to flee from ungodly things that cut down and destroy and rather focus upon building upon their most holy faith because the apostles whom they were mourning, they commanded that of them. What a great word for those who felt the loneliness of this gap of leadership. Last week, Uh, My oldest son, Quinn, and I had the joy of joining three other dads for a canoe trip up in the boundary waters of Minnesota. We called this trip the Grand Portage Trip, a recognition of the transition in life that these boys are currently facing as they move from boyhood to manhood. If you're not familiar with these trips, it's it's a really unique wilderness experience. It's like backpacking, except you also need to add a canoe along with that. So you canoe lakes, and then you, and then you portage, which means you pick up your packs and your canoes, and you put them on your backs, and you walk to the next lake. There are designated campsites all along the way that are first come, first serve. We as a group canoed and portaged nearly 25 miles over three days, which is a lot of travel. But because we went so far in, We got to see some incredible lakes. We got to catch some amazing fish. We got to have incredible conversations and see some remarkable sunrises as well. That's an actual photo that was taken on someone's phone. Amazing. On the final morning, we only had two little lakes left to paddle, tiny lakes, by far the smallest of the 19 lakes that we paddled in our three days. 
On our final portage, we came across a group of men from Indiana. And I asked, are you, are you coming out of the Boundary Waters or are you, are you going in? And they replied, oh, we've been here for a few days now. We did one portage and, you know, that was enough for us. So we figured we'd just stay right here. <laughs> it was a lake called Brant Lake that they stayed on. A small, boggy lake with brackish water. Half of the, half of the land surrounding Brant Lake had been charred 10 years back. I was amazed. I wanted to say, you stayed here? If you had gone a little further, two more lakes in, you could have seen some of God's most beautiful creation. But you chose to, to putz around in Brant Lake. It's not so hard to imagine how Jude's audience felt after their beloved apostles started to die off. They must have felt like those gentlemen at the gateway of the Boundary Waters paddling around in a little tiny lake, wondering if there's anything better out there, unsure of how to proceed. You might notice that the central arg arguments in the book of Jude deal with God's judgment. Let me explain why. Like those believers at Pentecost, the audience was convinced that Jesus was coming back. This transition was too tough. Jesus has to come back. This anticipation, which was only compounded by the closing of the apostolic age led this congregation like many others to avoid conflicts in their church believing that Jesus was going to come back soon anyways and he was going to make things right he would deal with the the, the ungodly the unjust in other words what's not portage there's nothing better for us ahead anyways let's just stay let's just stay here Jude recognizes the outlook of this church and he understands that they feel like small people, unable to carry on this large faith. And he, in essence, says, yes, Jesus will someday come to judge the ungodly, but you cannot sit and wait. Instead, build yourself up on your most holy faith. Look how Jude instructs his listeners to build themselves up on their most holy faith. He says, pray in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Look forward to the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Have mercy on some who are wavering. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. And have mercy on still others with fear, hating even the tunic that's defiled by their body. I've been challenged by this text in the last 24 hours, particularly these verses as I've watched the story developing in Charlottesville, I'm not sure about you, but it's been very troubling for me. It's clear that our country is in the midst of a painful transition, and so too is our American church, whether you realize it or not. I feel a gap in leadership. I really do. As a pastor, I'm not sure where to turn. I'm not sure which voices to listen to. So it's easy enough for me to say, you know what, God can do the, the judging. God can do the work of, of, of judgment in terms of those who are espousing racist hatred and violence. Jesus has to come back soon. It can't get much worse than this, right? So I'm going to sit back. But what does Jude say? Pray in the Spirit. Keep yourself in God's love. Anticipate the eternal mercy of Jesus then go have mercy on others.
who don't know Jesus' mercy. Snatch some from the fires of hell. In mercy, speak truth to those who are ungodly. So I will do so as I feel this transition in our American church at large. I believe that the spirit of Pentecost will equip me and send me out to be an agent of love and grace and God's mercy in the midst of so much hate. So I ask, is this what your response to life transitions looks like? My fear is that in the transitions in my life, they probably look more like me paddling in a puddle, too fearful or angry or uneasy to dream that there is something more, something better. If we are to take Jude at his word, the times of transition are actually the times that you put your canoe on your back and you proceed asking God, will you lead me to something better than this? I will give this over to you. I choose to move forward rather than sit still. I choose to let go of what I know right here because I trust that you can replace this stage that I'm in with something far greater. Jude says that these are the times that we ought to press further into Jesus. Wouldn't it be wonderful if that's how we all responded in the midst of our transition? By praying for conflicts through the Spirit, by communally looking forward to the hope that we have in our eternal life with Jesus, by saving wavering souls, by having mercy on others while naming their sin for what it is. Notice in Jude that the end goal of this built-up faith is not an inward exercise for our own benefit. That would be a creation of our own. No, the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is reflected in Jude's exhortation, is outward-looking. There is a call to an inward faith, build yourselves up, to press into Jesus more boldly in the midst of transition, but the result of such a faith is always outward-looking, looking upon the areas of the world in which Jesus is not yet known. So hear it clearly. The times of transition are times to give over everything to God and to take that portage. Times to press deeper into Jesus even when it's hard. Times to proclaim him to the world around us. When you canoe, you don't ask, God, would you airlift me into those big, clear, pristine, beautiful lakes with lots of fish in them? You simply say, I believe that you have something bigger and better than what I currently see, so I choose to proceed and I ask you to lead. But maybe you feel like a small person with a mission that's just too big, and you feel that you're not ready for that kind of transition. The leadership gap is too wide. The puddle that you're paddling in is too precious. And my response would be that those who came to celebrate Pentecost after Jesus' death didn't feel equipped for the great commission that they had been given either. But they were blessed with what? A powerful gift of the Holy Spirit. Then their mission was clear, to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Spirit. Hinsdale Covenant, you may look at the transitions in your life and in our church and feel like we are a small church in a big world. The temptation will be to focus only inwardly, to privatize our faith for our benefit alone, or to resist the transition 
and stay in smaller waters because that's what we know. But hear this and be encouraged. The same Holy Spirit which was released upon those apostles at at Pentecost has been released upon us in this place even this day. And this is a spirit of power. Don't quench the spirit by paddling in the status quo. God's power is upon you to make your faith evident in the world, bringing the world to a God who is already present, waiting to enter in. The Holy Spirit will guide you. He'll guide your transitions, will give you words, will convey God's mercy and allow you to show it. All you must do is build yourselves up on your most holy faith, releasing the future to a God who is trustworthy, trusting that he can do bigger and better things. Jude knew the fears of his listeners, a fear that you and I probably feel now, many of us feel now. So for encouragement, he crafted what for my money is the most beautiful benediction in all of Scripture. Now to him who is able to keep you from falling and to make you stand without blemish in the presence of his glory with rejoicing. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, power, and authority before all time and now and forever. May God bless each of you and all of us in the transitions that we face. May he, our God of glory, majesty, power, and authority, do something bigger and better than we could possibly imagine. Let's pray. Lord, we recognize that the transitions of our lives are hard as we're fixed on this timeline called life. But we also want to name that you are a God who exists outside of that timeline, that you know all things, you see all things. So Lord, we want to give these transitions in our lives and in our church over to you, trusting that you can do far better with them than we could ever do. So would you give us the courage, Lord, to proceed? To take what you have given us on our back and to move forward. We ask you to guide us and lead us. Lead us to places of wonder and beauty. Places where we might be more able to show your love and your mercy to a world that so needs it. And Lord, we want to thank you that we do not go through transitions alone. Just as you gave apostles to the early church, so you give to us tools for transition. So we want to trust you, Lord. And we're thankful for the gift of your Holy Spirit, the greatest gift of all. And the power that is within life in that spirit. So that we might follow you. Pray these things in your name. Amen. Let's close this morning by...